Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might be asking yourself, wait, hey, this is the third episode that we're getting in October so far. Lucky uh, you guys. Lucky you. We're going to have an episode every Tuesday of October, including our live episode that we just recorded. Yes, we just attended and did a live podcast recording at the Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest, mm-hmm. which is super awesome. We're really grateful to Siri and everyone there that um, organized it. It was great. It was really, honestly, very cool. It was um, really fun. Yeah. Got to meet some really neat podcasts you'll mm-hmm. probably hear about at some point in the future, whether yes. in a swapped ad or as a guest in the future. But uh-huh. uh, we love plugging our fellow podcast uh, friends who we got to meet and actually hear them do some true crime topics, too, yeah. which is pretty cool. There was some really awesome uh, presentations, live episodes being recorded. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty awesome. So... That was yeah. the first one, hopefully, of uh, many. Hopefully, it'll become an annual tradition. Yeah, and we had a really good turnout, which was we like... A great turnout. Super exciting. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who did come out and see us live, thank you. Thank you so much. It was awesome to meet you guys, too. It really was. And uh, those of you who, who weren't able to, we do have our live recording from that session up. Unfortunately, minus the PowerPoint presentation that I was giving during it, uh, which Use means... Use your imagination. <laughs> You don't you don't get the picture of the nun that I showed at one point, which is But you uh, could Google it. <laughs> you could. Or we'll put it up on our Instagram just for fun. Yeah, that'd be funny to just put it with no context. I think we were saying we were doing I think do we were that. saying we were doing that. <laughs> I I am pro this idea. I encourage it. I think we should do it. I'll just write if you know you know. And that's yeah, all I'll say. And that's it. And that's, that's it. it. Yep. Yeah. That's that's the end. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, this is actually part one. Of a two-part episode. Woohoo! We haven't done a two-parter in a while. I think Danny Rowling, I think, was our last yeah. two-parter. That's um, true. Yeah, which, I mean, that at this point, that was, I don't, I don't know. What is time? <laughs> what is time? I, uh, I keep thinking something was, like, two weeks ago, and it was like, no, that was, like, nine months ago. So, yeah. And- what is time, time? Truly, time. Truly, uh, no. We're we're going to be doing a two parter, and it, I'm particularly stoked because this is a female serial killer. Woohoo! And I mean, it might be weird to say this. Like, I love me a female serial killer. I don't think that's weird. Like, full stop. Like, it's awesome, right? There. I mean, uh, yeah. awesome. That's no. Sorry, I shouldn't well, be saying that's mm. awesome. I find them more interesting. Than male serial killers. Well, not a lot of people give them the attention that male serial killers get. It's true. I think that there's this idea out there that women are not, I don't know, dark, twisty, violent, capable, uh, which Uh, tells me y'all haven't been talking to a whole lot of women because- Or us. Or us. (laughs) Oh, no. I even think about like some of the female horror directors I know, and they do so much more twisted stuff. They go to places that I'm like, see, that's something only a woman's going to do. Yeah. Um, so some call her Lady Bluebeard. Oh. Belle Gunnis. Belle Gunnis. A black widow serial killer who killed somewhere between 14 and 40 people between 1884 and 1908. That's a wide range. It's a wide range, although that's fairly typical with a a lot of serial killers. Like, oftentimes we know we find a certain amount of bodies, so we're like, well, we know they killed this many. But there is oftentimes suggestions or evidence. Evidence. Uh, of more victims. So as one paper would later say of her, as will be seen, death, sudden and mysterious, attended Belle Gunnis for many years. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, now, like many of our more prolific serial killers, what we do know is is far outweighed by what we don't. And, uh, and 
added bonus of that is is um, it took place in the 1800s and early 1900s. So again, you're you're relying a lot on um, secondhand accounts of things, records that aren't fully complete or don't necessarily exist. So we, we kind of piece together what we're able and, and do the best to paint as complete a picture as possible, knowing that sometimes the data and the facts don't always line up. There's some gray area. There's some gray area. Uh, also, just as an FYI, there will be discussion uh, of the death of children, and it's nothing graphic. And it's not always even foul play. Uh, infant mortality was a whole thing in the yeah. late 1800s, early 1900s. But just yeah. as a fair warning, um, if that's something that is going to be upsetting, you may want to pass on this episode. We have plenty of other weird and delightful ones you can seek, including an episode on the Mongolian death worm. Oh, yeah, that one's a fun one. Definitely no dead children in that one. No not dead children. Not that, not that I'm remembering, but if we're wrong, I'm real sorry, and you can yell at us on social media. Can't wait. And with that, Bell Gunnis was born Brynhild Palsdatter Storseth. Wow. Yeah. A name I probably just mispronounced. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> what a name. If you're Norwegian and I just butchered that, I'm sorry. Uh, she was born on November 11th of 1859 in Selbu, Norway. The home she was uh, born in is, is gone now. There's apparently just farmland, but uh, the local historical society does have a sign up that says, like, this was Belgunis' house. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Um, the town's still pretty small, and there's, like, a, a, a tiny little museum there that talks about, like, some of the, the Norwegians who would immigrate t- to America from... Uh, Selbu, and I guess she's represented there. And they did, it was a couple years ago, they did a staging of um, like a new musical there, which is oh. kind of cool. And we'll, we'll actually be talking a little bit more about her and pop culture in part two. Cool. She was the youngest of eight children and the daughter of a sharecropper. Her childhood involved working their small farm, which is, you know, part of why you have eight children. So you've got workers. <laughs> Yep. Her family didn't have a whole lot of money. She grew up pretty poor. There's not a whole lot of details about her early life. We know when she was about 14, she worked for a neighbor as a dairymaid and that her neighbor was pleased with her work. She would say of Belle that she was a diligent human being that in all ways behaved well. It's a great Yelp review. Yeah. Yeah. Five stars. Five stars. Also diligent. It's a great word. Truly. We should, we should say diligent more often. I agree. There were multiple references to a story of her when she was 17 or 18 years old uh, and pregnant, apparently. And she was attending a country dance where she was attacked by a man who kicked her in the abdomen. What? Which caused her to miscarry. Some <gasps> versions of the story have the young man as being the one who impregnated her. That's messed up. Now, allegedly... Allegedly. Allegedly. The man who came from a rich family was never prosecuted by the Norwegian authorities. Which, yeah, I mean, that tracks. No surprise there. (laughs) Uh, Afterwards, the locals said that Brynhild's personality drastically changed. Oh. A short time later, the man who had kicked her died of what was said to be stomach cancer. But some look at it as possibly being arsenic poisoning. Oh, that's different. Well, and again, this is this is one of those things where it's a story I read about in multiple different accountings of her life, but there's like no documentation or a name given for the young man. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Given the time period, how small the town was, um, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows if this is something that there really would have been written documents for, but... It also, to me, reads as one of those very convenient stories that kind of pop up as a mythology of a person after the fact. Yeah, for sure. So, like, take it, you know, with a grain of salt. Uh, She would emigrate to the United States in 1881 when she was about 21 years old. Her sister Alina had moved to Chicago about 10 years prior and encouraged Belle to join her. Alina changed her name to Nellie so she could fit in to Chicago better. Uh, Chicago was a city of immigrants at this point. In fact, at one point, there was a historian who estimated that 80% of the population was foreign-born in some capacity. 
Interesting. Yeah, which is just kind of, I found that little tidbit of information from Minds to Digest rather fascinating. Yeah. So Belle made the trip, and this is where she would officially change her name from Brynhild. It's really fun to say. That is fun. To Belle Peterson to fit better, to better fit in. Less um, fun. Less fun. Although, you know, fitting in was not the easiest for her. She was tall. Her exact height's kind of debated. Uh, it's recorded anywhere from five seven to six feet. That's Which, a pretty tall lady. That's also a big spread. Like, 5'7 is tall, but that's not, although I suppose it's early 1900s. Um, like, that's tall, but, like, six feet. Yeah, that's significant. That's significant. There's, like, a, a half a foot difference in those accounts, though. Um, it's like she's throwing on platform heels some of the time. I mean, I could get that, though. Sure. <laughs> She was described as being large and strong. You can find pictures of her. There'll be pictures of her up on our Instagram. Uh, and, and again, the, the pictures are mostly from when she's a little older. But, like, you can see, she's a, she's a solid woman. She's a woman who yeah. grew up working on a farm. Sure. She worked as many of the local immigrants did. She was a servant. She sewed. She did laundry. She cleaned. But Belle was not satisfied with these things. Oh, really? Yeah. Nellie would later say of her... My sister was insane on the subject of money. She oh. would do anything to get it. Some of Nellie's accounts of her sister don't match uh, what we would later know of Belle. One of them being uh, she had a great love of children. Almost every Norwegian Sunday school child in Chicago knew her for her kindness. Uh, sure. Sure. She married Mads Ditlev Anton Sorensen. Wow, that's a great name. It's is a that great name? There's Kim's a lot. favorite names. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Kim's favorite names in in these episodes. There's some names. She married him in 1884 in Chicago. He was five years older than her. He worked at the Mandel Brothers Department Store as a night watchman. And it seems like her interest in the marriage was solely on what he could provide for her. Mods was described as kind and loving, but seemed to be mostly convenient for her. Mm -hmm. She wanted children, but struggled to conceive. Her relationship with her sister would suffer because of it. She became overly attached to her niece, Nellie's youngest, and wanted to take her. Oh, that's not good. No, I guess like Nellie figured, I don't know. I guess she figured Nellie could just like have another one, which isn't That's really also like... Pretty messed up. That's not really how that works. And I mean, Nellie understandably was like, um, no, I would like to keep my child. I'm sorry. And so their their relationship fractured pretty poorly as a result. In, I could see why. Yeah. In 1891, she would adopt an eight-month-old girl named Jenny, whose mother had died, and the father agreed to leave her with Belle. Which, again, wasn't entirely uncommon in that sure. time, uh, especially if it was the, the woman who died, like you'd give the child to another family to be raised. By 1894, Mods and Belle were able to save enough money to buy a candy store. Ooh, fun. Yeah, I got kind of excited about that. The store was not successful. Oh. Belle was worried they were going to be left broke and destitute. Also a great word that is not used often enough. Destitute? Oh, so you yeah. got to do theater. There's like destitute pops up left and right because you got uh. like Victorian little orphans and... Annie's and Oliver's and urchins and destitution. And they're all destitute. They're destitute. Just in the nick of time, the store would catch fire. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And conveniently, the only people there to witness it were Belle and her then three year old child, Jenny. Hmm. Yeah, three year olds say a lot of things, but, you know, mommy set fire isn't usually one of them. Right, and not maybe the most reliable source. Sure, sure. Kids say a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, Belle claimed a kerosene lamp had exploded, but there was no evidence. 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 Of glass or a broken lamp anywhere. The insurance company would pay, and they sold the store. But this insurance payout allowed the family to move out to the suburbs to a nicer home. Belle and Mads became the parents to four more children. Oh, now, Belle's in her late 30s at this point, and with all of her previous fertility struggles, it's doubtful she gave birth to any of them, but the records are a bit shaky. Sure. The most likely scenario is she 
took in or adopted the children much as she did with Jenny. Uh, two of the children, Caroline and Axel, died while only a few months old, allegedly of acute colitis. Are you familiar with acute colitis? I am absolutely not. I was just going to ask you, what's acute colitis? So... I'm glad you asked that, Gabby. Thank you. The symptoms of acute colitis, nausea, fever, diarrhea, and lower abdominal pain and cramping. That sounds awful. Sounds awful. You know what else it sounds like? The flu? Symptoms of many forms of poisoning. Oh. Both Caroline and Axel's lives were reportedly insured. So once again, the insurance company paid out. Wait, 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 wait. Pump the brakes. Sure. So what you're saying is that she poisoned her children so she could collect life insurance on them? Allegedly. Again, it should be noted, infant mortality, as we said, was very high. So it's easy to look back at these deaths and assume, given her later behavior, she had something to do with it. We don't know. Okay. It's... it's uh, speculation based on the fact that she was not above killing children. And, uh, but we don't know. Okay. But it is weird to me that her babies were life insured. That is weird. I don't, I, but again, I also don't know how common that was back then to do that. Was that like a common thing or no? Uh, you know, that's an excellent question. I did not look up how common it was. So that's a thing I'll have to, to circle back to for, uh, to, to report for our next episode. Um, so the other two children, Myrtle and Lucy joined Jenny. And so now they have this lovely family of, of three kids, Mods and Belle. In 1897, Mods was presented with an opportunity to head out West and look for gold because 1897, what's happening then? The gold rush. The gold rush. Uh, Washingtonians know it well. Uh, And it seemed like a good opportunity. He signed this contract with a company to head out to Alaska for one year to mine for gold. And Bell's like, score, I'm not really going to miss you. And the company is going to pay me a monthly fee since we're going to be without our main breadwinner. This is like win, 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 win. We're getting the money. Bringing in the money. In agreeing to this expedition, though, uh, they did have to put up funding for equipment and other things that you need when you go, like, hunting for gold in the Klondike. Sure. So they used their home as collateral. Uh Uh-oh. This was a mistake. The company did not have any mines. It was a scam. Oh, no. Yeah. A lawsuit over their deed uh, ensued, and though Bell and Mods would win, it was a big blow, and it it really kind of further crushed Bell's dreams of being wealthy. Yeah, I can see why. So on April 10th of 1900, a fire would break out in their home. I feel like Smokey the Bear's disapproval, all these fires, <laughs> like, only you can prevent fires. Yeah, nobody told that to Belle. I would love to see Smokey the Bear pop up in, like, Victorian garb, just, like, a Victorian version of Smokey the Bear. That'd be adorable. I was just thinking what would happen if Smokey the Bear, like, shirtless popped up in Victorian times, and people would be like, oh, no, that bear doesn't have a shirt. Shocking. Not even, like... Oh, no, the bear is wearing pants. Well, at least he pantsed himself. <laughs> but it's a bear. <laughs> it's, you know, that's, that's not that, that terrible. <laughs> um, so the structure was saved, but the family lost a bunch of their possessions. But Gabby, wouldn't you know it? I bet you it know where I'm insured. going with this. It, it was insured. insured. They got oh, another payout. Insured. Yep, got another Perfect. payout. Uh, now, their home was not the only thing insured. What else was insured? Mods had a life insurance policy. Oh, no. This is, I, I'm not going to lie. This is maybe single-handedly one of my, well, no, that's not true. There's another part coming later that's maybe my favorite part of her whole story. But this is pretty awesome. So he has this policy, right? It's worth about $2,000 in the year 1900, which is about. That's a lot for that time. 70500 by today's standards. Oof. It was set to expire on July 30th of 1900. And Mods decided he was going to let that particular policy lapse. And he was going to get a different policy with a different company. 
This policy was going to be good for about $3,000, which is uh, just under about $106,000. Dang. Yeah. Decent payouts. Now, the policies overlapped by one day. So the the original one worth $2,000 was expiring the same day that the $3,000 one started. Okay. Okay. Following? Following. Following. So... But that's bonkers. Nothing's going to happen on that one day. I mean, or didn't she did she kill him on that day? Did he die on that day? Yeah, so to the shock of probably no one who's listening right now, on Monday, July 30th, a doctor is summoned to the home of Bell and Mods and there lay Mods dead. So on the bed, a doctor Seuss. <laughs> dead on the bed. Dead with on the some bed. bread, with some bread. Uh and pain in the know. head. I don't know. <laughs> my, my brain's not working well enough right now to think of more wor- rhyming words. Was he words. well fed? Was he well fed? Nobody said. He wasn't Instead, well read. <laughs> he was red. In the face, that is, because he was dead. Because All he right. was dead. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> uh, no, the family physician arrived shortly after, and according to Bell, Mods had been ill with a cold, and he'd gotten home from work and said he had a, quote, fearful headache. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) So Belle had given him some quinine powder and then went to get dinner ready. And she said that when she came back to check on him, he was dead. Are you sure it was that kind of powder and not arsenic? Well, so one of the physicians thought, perhaps, and I feel like this physician's giving her the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe she had mistaken which medicine she had given him and perhaps gave him morphine instead of of the, the quinine powder. Wouldn't you know it, Belle had thrown away the wrapper, so there's just no way to tell. No evidence. 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 I mean, like, did nobody think, like, hey, let's check the trash? Oh, jeez. Maybe she set that on fire, too? I don't know. Trash fire. Sure. So the first doctor was super suspicious, so good on him. Go, doctor. The family doctor was just like, well, I've been treating mods for some heart issues, so, yeah. And with nothing else to really go on, the doctors were just kind of like, I guess he died of a cerebral hemorrhage? Question mark? And so we don't really need to conduct an autopsy? Wait, they didn't do an autopsy? Yeah, they didn't think that the circumstances were suspicious enough. Like, we do. We think it was suspicious. This is us saying, hey, man, this is suspicious. But um, this is like the definition of suspicious. And that one doctor thought it was weird, too. And they still didn't do an autopsy? Well, I think part of it is that you had the one doctor, the family doctor, who was sort of pushing for, he had heart issues, it's eh, it's possible, that the other doctor just being like, fine, I'm going to defer to the guy who's been treating him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that, I mean, the doctors were probably not aware of the life insurance stuff, because why would they be? So I think if if... That had been knowledge to them, then maybe they would have been more willing to kind of push this, like, uh, hey, this is weird. But since they weren't, it was just like, eh. Although there was evidence to suggest that his family found the whole thing questionable and that they wanted an autopsy, like his extended family. Mm. Uh, And they also wanted an inquest done. But the insurance company paid out and nobody really did anything else about it. You kind of have to love early 1900s lack of follow through. Or I guess like a lack of Netflix true crime documentaries making everyone suspicious of everything. Because <laughs> you, I mean, how much is some of our outlook shaped by the fact that we are now trained to look at everything suspiciously? I mean, there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens out there. Excuse sure. me, French. But um, I think we just have more exposure to it now. Yeah, so I you know, absolutely. More. We're yeah. looking for a different thing. So, so Belle's looking to move on. And there is evidence. Evidence. <laughs> Like, man, I say evidence so much over the next two episodes. If this is a drinking game, you might die. It's fine. Uh, We'll look into it. Do you have life insurance? Do you have life insurance? (laughs) There's evidence to suggest she actually placed an ad looking for a farm of some kind. She was contacted by someone who owned a property in LaPorte, Indiana. And in November of 1901, she packed up her family and moved to Indiana. Uh, the new property was pretty big. Uh, the range, it was somewhere between 42 to 48 
acres. It, the accounts kind of vary. But it was a, a farmstead, and that's a lot of land. That is a lot. That's a good-sized little chunk of land there. Yeah. And it was during this time she became acquainted Well, I should say she became better acquainted with a former boarder of hers, a man named Peter Gunnis. Oh. Uh. Peter had been a boarder of Bell and Mods, and uh, he at that time was married to a woman who would later die during the birth of their second child. (laughs) Nothing brings people together like the death of spouses and an insurance payout. (laughs) Peter and Bell married on April 1st of 1902, and Bell would officially become... The Bell Gunness of legend and lore. All right. So within five days of their marriage, Peter's seven-month-year-old daughter would die. Oh, no. The official cause of death was edema of the lungs, which is excess fluid in the lungs. Wouldn't you know it, Bell was alone with her in the house when she died. Don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. Suspicious, don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. On December 16th of 1902, Bell would once again be tragically widowed. How convenient. Did he also have life insurance? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. Swan Nicholson, who was a neighbor of Bell. It's a great name. Swan Nicholson. That's fabulous. Swan. Uh, That's cool. He was awoken by Belle's 12-year-old daughter, Jenny. Jenny is now 12 years old. Okay. She's banging on the door. She told them that they needed to come right away because, quote, Papa's burned himself. The. So the neighbors come over to the farmstead. They'd find a hysterical Belle and a dead Peter. Oh, who's lying? Wait, it gets better. He is lying face down in the parlor, quote, laying on his nose and blood on the floor. Where's the burn? Well, he has a wound on the back of his head. His nose is broken. Uh, A doctor's called, but, like, he's dead. Man's dead. During a later inquest, Bell would describe what had happened. So this is all quotes from the inquest. So, I said to him, I guess it's pretty near time to go to bed. He thought so, too. And he picked up his pipe and went to the kitchen. He always put his shoes back of the stove to warm... And I guess he must have been back to get hold of a pair of shoes, and all at once, I heard a terrible noise. And I dropped my paper and went. And when I came out there, he was raising up from the floor and putting both hands on his head. I had a big bowl with some brine on the back of the stove, and I was going to put it on some head cheese I left there. I had washed the meat grinder and wiped it off and put it on a shelf to dry. Mama, he says, I burned me so terrible. (laughs) I was so scared and I didn't know what to do. All his clothes were wet. I said, you had better take your clothes off. He said, my head burns terribly. So basically the brine had fallen on him, I guess, and burned him. Um, They go back to the parlor. It seems like, according to her, he was getting better. And so she asks him, Don't you think you would better lay down? And he said, probably I will. And I said, you would better not go upstairs to bed, but lay down on the lounge, and I will fix that up there, for it is warmer. So she goes to lay down with the children. And then, all at once, I heard him calling. He was over by the door and calling Mama as fast as he could and so that the children waked up. And I was trying to think and said they should keep quiet, that I had to go to Papa and that Papa was burned. I tried to put on my clothes because it was cold. I went down the steps and when I came down, he was walking around the room and saying, Oh, Mama, Mama, my head, I don't know what is the matter with my head. And it's at that point she sends Jenny to go to the neighbors. And she said, he then said, this is my favorite part. Oh, mama, I guess I'm going to die. What? (laughs) Like you do. That's just what people say. They announce it very politely so that you know what's going on. They're just trying to keep you informed. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Uh, so this brings us up to when the neighbors have gotten there, and, and Belle keeps those. She just keeps saying, no, no, no. He's just unconscious. 
He's Wait, how fine. did he end up face down? Oh, we're getting there. Well, he fell down. He he announced he was going to die and then went... That sounds like Looney Tunes. Oh, like, no. The way it's, that I think of it is like Looney Tunes. It's bonkers. Um, which, okay. So, <laughs> basically... What what she's saying happened is that he he must have like stumbled into the stove that the brine fell on him and that's the burn and that the meat grinder fell on top of his head. Allegedly, I mean, I don't like because okay, I have I have a lot of questions about this. Uh, my first question though, and I get that this used to be a thing, and if you're Mike Pence, it still is a thing. Oh no! But I am so weirded out by grown men calling their wives mother or mama. Oh, yeah. No, that's weird. Like, it's one thing to be like, your mother, your mother asked you to put the dishes away. Mama said it's time for bed, but not being like, mama, let's go to bed. (laughs) I think that's what makes the quote so much better, though. Like, if you had taken out the mama, it still would be kind of interesting, right? But, like, throwing the mama in just, like, this... (laughs) We try to not make jokes about people's deaths too much, but when they're just saying mama the whole time, mama, I'm about to die. Like, how do you not giggle? I keep, I think, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of the musical 1776, and there's a song, Mama Looks Sharp, that's all about like, you know, mama looks sharp because I'm going to die, and I went out to the Grange and blah, blah, blah. And I, I keep hearing that song in my head every time I read these quotes. Um... So the doctor doctor comes out, you know. The doctor, thankfully, has questions, too. We're oh, not good. the only ones. Doctor has questions. Because uh, he's like, you know, this seems weird. Suspect. Oh, don't be suspicious. Don't, don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> uh, but he's like, I'm going to reserve my judgment until we can officially do a postmortem, which is generous of him, but again. <clears throat> oh, okay, side note. I found this great article. In the Indianapolis Journal from December 17th of 1902. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a whole string of weird crimes happening in Laporte. Really? Because like the what? S- okay, well, no. The start of the article goes, a carnival of crime oh. seems to be reigning in Laporte County. What a way to say it. I d- carnival of crime. That's chef's kiss right there. That's, that's beautiful. Also sounds like a great band. <laughs> right? Or a horror film, Carnival yeah. of Crime. Like on Lifetime, sure. though. Only on Lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Great the article, Christmas movie. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it does sound like a Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie. Like a cheeky... Wasn't there one like Holiday in Handcuffs or something? I'm sure there was, but it was, just sounds like it would be a very funny movie. Oh, it would be delightful. Now, according... Oh, so the article would say... This is a quote from the article. According to officers, there are strong indications of foul play in the death of Peter Gunnis, who lived with his wife and her four children, her four children. The official cause of death was, quote, due to shock and pressure caused by fracture and said hemorrhage. So he's bludgeoned on the head. That's 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 what it's which he did not do to himself. Well, so again, so in this inquest, they ask her how he you know, started to bleed from the back of the head because that doesn't just spontaneously happen. And she said, I don't know, doctor. I picked up the meat grinder from the floor and I think that must have tumbled on him one way or another. And that's what I think, but I didn't see it. I added one way or another. (laughs) It's my dramatic reading of this. Yeah, no. um, And this is another one of like, you know what I didn't do? I didn't look up the statistics for how many people are killed each year by rogue meat grinders, but I feel like I can still say with authority, it is a fairly low amount of people. Also, like, in one way or another, like, (laughs) did it get up and run toward him, jump and hit him in the head? Like, how? how? Wow. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) I know, like, again, I don't, I am not in any way, shape, or form mocking him. I just, this, to have your second husband die like this and just be like, I don't know what happened. The meat grinder just, how somehow it just fell on his head. Also, what a choice. A meat grinder? Respect. I mean, I don't know. It's so bizarre. It's just serious business. It's so bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. So they interview Jenny as part of this inquest. And 
everything she's saying is lining up with what Belle says. But it's lining up a little too well. Mm-hmm. Almost as though she had been coached in what to say. Oh, look at that. Mm. So then the doctor decides to change tactics and ask Jenny if uh, she had been there the day that her other dad, Mods, oh, had no. died. Because now, like, this doctor, again, God bless this man, he's like, huh, two dead husbands in two years. That's kind of weird. Yeah, that's, that's some shady shit right there. It's some shady shit. Jenny, though, didn't really have a whole lot to add. And I mean, like, she's 12 at this point, so you can't expect she's this a kid. kid. Yeah, she's yeah. a kid. She's a kid. So then Belle's neighbor, Swan Nicholson, testified he hadn't seen any blood on the couch. This is the couch that Peter supposedly had, like, laid down on after he got his head wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Not the best idea. No. Uh, But despite all these things, when asked if he thought Belle could have murdered her husband, Nicholson said no. Which is interesting because only days before, um, he had gotten home and had told his family that he thought the whole thing was suspicious, doesn't look like murder. Hmm. But I'm like, again, so nobody thinks Belle did it, but is it, are they just like, well, some rando must have busted into the house, hit him with a meat grinder because a woman couldn't possibly do that. Because, again, I have questions. Well, also, like, where would this person have come from? Like, <clears throat> there's no logic behind that. No, no. It's the same person who, who broke into the Borden's house, probably. Um, so despite everyone in the community being like, this is weird. And the papers all noting... This is weird. This is weird. This is weird. Ultimately, Belle would be exonerated. And the doctor's official statement read, after having examined the body and heard the evidence, evidence, we so find that the deceased came to his death by the accidental falling of the auger part of a sausage mill falling from the heating shelf of a cook stove in his kitchen and striking him on the back of head. The impact of said auger part of sausage mill causing fracture of skull and intracranial hemorrhage resulting in death. That's that's very detailed, but also very vague at the end. <laughs> I mean, it's, he got hit in the head and he died. Yeah, but he got up and walked around a bunch first. Well, sure. Like, you can, but you can walk around with a head injury, but um, they'll still, I mean, look at how, wow, who, um, was it? Natasha Richardson, uh, Liam Neeson's wife, who she like fell into her head during skiing and she was back up and it seemed like she was fine. And then she died a couple hours later because she had brain bleeding. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know about that. I I maybe forgive me for if I'm mixing up some of the details, but like that's a thing. That's the thing with that's part of why head wounds are so dangerous, because you think you're fine. You can get a head wound and not realize that something internally is happening. Mm hmm. And then you die. That's rough. So head wounds are tricky. But Belle, once again, escapes being implicated. And, of course, gets an insurance payout. How convenient. How convenient. Some of Peter's family were not satisfied by this. Peter's brother, Goost, was so concerned for his niece, Swanhilde. Wow. Uh, I know I love these names so much, particularly after the the seven-month-old child died in Belle's care. Mm-hmm. So Swanhild, Swanhild, Swanhildi was the, the older daughter. Um, he knew Peter had a life insurance policy and that the life insurance policy was supposed to go to his daughter, not to Belle. Oh. So he makes the trek to the farm and he asks Belle about it. And Belle says, well, it's been invested. And he says, well, can I see where? And she's like, I'm just a woman. I don't. But Goose, you look you look like a strapping man. You're more than welcome to stay and manage the farm. Oh, no. Well, Goose is who's maybe the only reasonably intelligent man in this entire story. He declines. Oh, good. He stayed at the farm for a couple days, and then he was like, mm, this is some shady shit, and he took Swanhilde and left in the middle of the night. 
And that's what you do. And that's what you do. Uh, but Belle gets away with it, and a few months later, she has a baby boy named Philip. And I'm very specifically using the wording of has. She has a baby boy. Like so she, she didn't give birth to a we, baby boy. We don't know. She just suddenly oh. has him. This baby just appears. She claims that she birthed the baby, but there's little evidence. Evidence. That she actually gave birth. When the midwife came, the baby was like born and clothed and clean, which if you've ever seen fresh out of the cooker newborns, they're not that. Oh, they're gnarly looking. They're gross. They're weird. They're full of gunk and funky. And I don't know. Um, this baby was, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Just the description. What I find very comedic <laughs> in this moment is we can talk about crime scenes all day, but you want to talk about a new baby and say gunk. <laughs> Because it sounds classier than vagina juice. (laughs) And here we are. And here we are, folks. This is why I just said gunk. Um, No. uh, Technical. (laughs) So the the baby's born clothed, cleaned, and Belle's like going about her day. So is it possible she gave birth to this baby? Sure. But given her infertility, the fact that she's now 43 years old, and the rather mysterious circumstance around all the children she seems to be collecting... Most likely not. Um, Neighbors also noted the baby looked too old to be a newborn. Okay, that's an interesting point. Well, because again, newborn babies... Don't look like that? No, although I, like, I think a friend of mine, I remember when her, when she gave birth to her baby, and she was a tall, she is, she's still around. She's alive. (laughs) She's alive, yeah. She's a tall woman. The, The father was a tall man. The baby came out looking a month old. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Baby was, was I mean, just, it looked like a month-old baby. It looked like a baby. It did not look like a newborn. It was like, oh, this baby's been alive and cooking for a while. So it's, she's a tall woman. It is possible that she gave birth to a baby who already looks older. We don't know. I just think given everything else we know about her, um, and there was no reports of anyone noticing she was pregnant, it's doubtful. Highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely. Uh but just because Peter is gone doesn't mean that the work around the farm can stop. Belle is used to hard labor. And again, she's, she's, you know, she's a strong, sturdy woman. She jumps right back in. She's doing what needs to get done. She's planting. She's harvesting. She's, like, milking them cows. She's also apparently very good at butchering pigs. Oh, that's a fun fact. There were reports of her being at auctions for livestock and lifting 200-pound pigs into her wagon as though they were nothing. Again, I don't know if that's entirely truthful, but I could see she was a farm girl. She'd pick up a pig, yeah. Uh, But it's a lot. It's a big farm. Farm's getting bigger. By 1904, she's in need of more help. Financial or just, like, physical? Because maybe both the above and what's a twice widowed woman to do when she has a large farm and a handful of kids but we don't know where she got (laughs) (laughs) that's beside the point she advertises for more men folk she basically like oh i was gonna say it's like tinder but like back in the day she ran an ad looking for a laborer for the farm Ah. and one man who would apply was 30 year old olaf lindbo his names, man. They're You're Norwegian. not wrong. They're Norwegian. The, he was another Norwegian immigrant, and he came out, he started work, but the neighbors started noticing that there seemed to be a little bit of a something, something going on between Bell and Olaf. They were like sure. building snowmans. I don't know. In fact, you in a letter, build an Olaf? he would later write to his father. He exclaimed that he might be getting married soon. Oh. Yeah, that's super lovely. But then Olaf's gone. Oh. And Bell would later say that he'd gone to St. Louis to see the World's Fair. Is that in air quotes? Well, she then told another neighbor that he'd gone to see the new king of Norway. Also in air quotes. And then later when Olaf's father wrote to see why he hadn't heard from his son, she was like, "Uh, he headed west to try his luck there. Why wouldn't she just keep her story straight? Well, because it's also not likely any of these people are talking to each other. That's fair. But still. This is pre-Netflix true crime documentary. She probably does not think she has to. Fair. 
<laughs> so Belle's continuing to run ads looking for men. I found I found some of those ads. Here's one. Ooh. Personal. Comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana. I'm sorry, I'm making this sound vaguely like a porn ad. <laughs> Desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. Ooh. I think that's the equivalent of saying, like, your pick gets mine. I don't know. <laughs> like, triflers need not I apply. Love I'm going to start. Like- <laughs> I'm going to make a, like, a Bumble or a Tinder profile just so I can put that in it. I think you should literally copy and paste that entire thing into a bubble account. There's a little part of me that wants to make a Tinder profile for like a bell gun or something and just see who catches it. All the stuff in the like put all the details be her and put the personals that she did just to see. Oh my god, that'd be so funny. Am I a horrible human being that now I really want to? I think you should do it. You should do it, but I don't know if you'll get a date out of it, but it will be entertaining. It would be so entertaining. If there's what we need though, what we okay, wait, no. You know Uh-oh. those like face apps? So yeah. we need to <laughs> we need to do one of those face switch apps or what like where we can update some of her pictures. And put your face on it? No. Just update them <laughs> so they don't look like they're a woman from like the early 1900s. Um, but it also would be very funny if you just put a woman from the early 1800s as the photos. That might be pushing, like, that might be showing our hand a little too much. <laughs> I'm kind of fascinated by this. This might be something, I don't know. We'll, Homework. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll come okay. back to that. We'll come back but to also, that. But also, describing yourself as comely. Comely widow, Gabby. Ooh. Comely widow. And uh, she Take wants note. to join fortunes. Air quotes. Uh, so April of 1905, a new man named Henry Gerholt. Oh, came to work for her and Henry's ecstatic to be working on the farm. He felt he was welcomed so nicely by Mrs. Gunnis. He would later write to his mother. I'm being treated almost the same as one of the family, which also PS my bro, given what happens to most of her family, it's not good. No, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. And uh, sure enough, Gerhold would suddenly quit sometime in August of 1905. Mm. I wonder why. Mm. Well, because he was probably dead. Oh, that'll do it. Okay. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. Bell keeps advertising. Men keep showing up. Uh, A man named George Berry came out with $1,500 on him for a, quote, job and possibly marriage. Oh, he came prepared. He came prepared. Christian Hilkvin sold his farm and left for Laporte after answering an ad. Emil Tell left his job to, quote, marry a wealthy widow. Old... Budsberg, again, anyone who's Norwegian <laughs> listening to me butcher these names, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, he sold his farm and told his adult sons he was moving to Laporte to remarry. After hearing nothing from their father, they wrote to her. She promptly responded saying she had never seen their father. Wow, she's got this game down pat. Oh, no. Girlfriends, like, she's got a she's got a whole thing going. And, I mean, again, murder is bad, and this is this is very sad, but... You have to appreciate everything she put into this. And I feel like she inspired uh, Debbie from Adam's Family Values. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So this continued. By some reports, she had a new man coming out to the farm every week, and Belle would call them her cousins. Oh, God. Yeah. And... The men would be seen coming, but they would never be seen leaving. Uh, that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. According to her farmhand, they also seem to leave their trunks behind. Oh, and did she also say that? No, nope, she didn't. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, the farmhand would later say there were about 15 trunks and one room was packed full of all kinds of men's clothing. Mrs. Gunnis said that the cousins had left their clothes and she wasn't certain that they'd be back for them. Hello, flashing red lights. Yeah. Somebody needs to pay attention to this. Uh, Thomas Lindbow, Olaf Svenherud. 
Oh, man. I'm going to try to say that again. Thomas Linbo, Olaf Svenhurd from Chicago, John Moe, uh, others who disappeared and would later be linked to Gunnis uh, through remains or jewelry that were found at her home. And again, I apologize for how I'm going to be saying some of these names, but I feel like it's important to at least try to say them. William Minge, Herman Konitzer, Christy Hilvin, Charles Nieberg, John McJunkin. Wow. Olaf Jensen, Henry Bisg. Bert Chase, Tones Peterson, George Bradley, T.J. Tiefland, Frank Riedinger, Lee Porter. <laughs> I like that one. Lee Porter. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> John Hunter, Abraham Phillips. So these are these these ones I can say. Benjamin Carling, Og Gunderson, Ole Olison, Linder Nicholson, Andrew Anderson, Johan Sorensen. Hey, she did it. She also, did it. wow, what a list of names. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. In 1906, during the summer months, Bell would hire a local man, William Brogiski, to dig some holes for her. I was, was going to say, where are all these bodies well, going? She's very specific about the holes. Um, oh, geez. Six feet long, three feet wide, four feet deep, you know, normal hole-shaped holes. Oh, God. Now, Bell's... Adopted daughter Jenny at this point is a little older. She's now 16. She's becoming popular with some of the local boys, and she would tell them that she was being sent off to school in California. Jenny would leave without saying goodbye to any of them. Hmm. Letters that would later be written would go unanswered. Hmm. Oh, no. In July of 1907, Bell would hire a new farmhand, Ray Lamphere. Uh, he moved into the house. He would later boast he was sleeping with Belle. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure. men, men boast. Um, he would talk about their exploits in bed and that she was begging him to marry her. Again, my bro. Oh, my bro. Uh, did not turn out super well for her previous husbands. Yeah, like, who's not paying attention to everything going on around? Yeah. Uh, despite this, Belle had been corresponding with a man named Andrew held Jellion for about okay. 18 months playing the long con after lying about the size and worth of her farm and wooing him pretty hardcore. She said, quote, take all your money out of the bank as soon as possible. That's not shady. <sighs> yeah. And, and to come to her and in the letter, she's laying it on thick. Like this isn't just come out and work the farm. This is like, come out and work me. Ooh. But she stressed he shouldn't tell anybody, especially family, of his plans, which is not at all suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I feel like that should be our theme song for this episode. It really should. (laughs) Andrew Helgelian officially came to LaPorte, Indiana in January of 1908. And Belle told Ray that he'd have to sleep in the barn so her new friend could have his room. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. Helgelian and Belle went to the local bank. Uh, a few days after redeem his certificates of deposit bank couldn't do it all on demand because it was a lot of money. So it was going to take a few days on January 11th. Bell and Andrew left the bank, uh, with $2,839, which again is about a hundred grand. That's significant. Yeah. Cash, all cash. Dang. He was never seen alive after January 14th. On February 3rd, Bell fired Ray. Air quotes. No, not in quotes. Like actually fired. Well, it's unclear even today what exactly happened between the two of them to get them to this point. But whatever it was, it was not good. And he took nothing with him when he left. That's got to be really bad if he just left without anything. Bell hired a new farmhand, Joseph Maxson. Ray uh, would try to come back for his things, but Bell would run him off. Oh, dang. And she starts complaining to the local sheriff. She is being harassed by her former farmhand. In March, she has him arrested for trespassing. Also in March, Belle would receive a letter from Asil Helgelian, Andrew's brother. Okay. Despite Belle's beseeching Andrew to not tell anyone what was going on, uh, he did. He, He said something to his bro. She brushed him off. She's like, mm. he he left to go find their other brother. 
Uh, so in early April, Ray is once again arrested for trespassing. And, like, things are kind of heating up. Bell would testify, and Ray's attorney, like, she's testifying against him, and Ray's attorney is, like, aggressively questioning her about her previous husband's death and the life insurance policies taken out against them. And then his attorney says, where's your daughter, Jenny? Oh, yes, somebody got her. Well, and this is like Ray obviously had been in her confidence in some some way, but when things went south, uh, he says something to his lawyer like, "You should ask her these things." So, Bell's like, "Okay, things are falling apart." Um, but despite all this, Ray is found guilty of trespassing. He's ordered to pay a fine of five dollars. Wow. Um, and she'd have him arrested again for trespassing, but this time he had a solid alibi and was found not guilty. Uh, so as again, something, something went south between the two of them and she's speaking very vocally about her fears, uh, of Ray saying she feared he would one day, this is important, set fire to her home. Oh, remarkably specific. Is this what we call foreshadowing? It might be. This is Chekhov's fire. Allegedly. Allegedly. Sometime around April 20th, Myrtle Sorensen whispered to a schoolmate, my mama killed my papa. She oh. hit him with a meat cleaver, and he died. Don't tell a soul. <gasps> somebody told somebody. <laughs> so Bell would visit M.E. Lelliter on wow. April 27th. He was an attorney in Laporte, Indiana. Um, she told him she was afraid of being murdered by Ray Lampier. And she said uh, he'd been like making some advances towards her that she didn't reciprocate and that she very specifically said I'm afraid he's going to kill me and burn the house why would he burn the house if he already kills her first well he hasn't killed her though right but like if she's saying he's gonna kill me and burn my house down I mean like That's so specific. It's so specific. She wrote out a will, leaving everything to her children. She then went to the store. She bought some toys and candy for the kids as a treat. Uh, Got some groceries and two gallons of kerosene, you know. Oh, NBD. Lamps. Yeah. At about 4 a.m. on April 28th, 1908, the new farmhand, Joe Maxson, awoke, smelling smoke in his room on the second floor of the Gunnis house. And that is where we will be leaving you until next week. Oh, cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Ooh, leave it with a cliffhanger. Boom. Love, love me some cliffhangers. What? This is such a fun story. Like, I, I forget. Like, I, I knew about Bell Gunnis sure. briefly. But I forget how, like, oh, interesting it's bonkers. it is. It's like, it's bonkers. Wild. Yeah. I can't it's, wait till next week. It's absolutely just off its rocker it's it, it it's you cannot make this up it feels like it should be fictional and it's not would make for a great show yeah it would would make for a great show mm-hmm. indeed and this brings us to Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, I know you're watching a horror movie. Uh, Always. Few. Always. What are you watching? Uh, well, so actually last night I saw a pre-screening and I realized by the time this episode comes out, the movie's now available, I think, streaming on Peacock as well as in the theaters. I went to an early screening of Halloween Ends. And? Uh, it's ridiculous. It's a good time. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It It has a lot of... Writing problems, the plot can get a little all over the place. I get what they were trying to do with it. But again, I was thoroughly entertained the entire time. Um, It's wild and it's funny. Uh, Those of you who saw Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, because this is Halloween Ends. Yeah, there's too many Halloweens. Um, (laughs) I really enjoyed Halloween 2018. I thought Halloween Kills was... A kind of a letdown, given how much I liked 2018. This, to me, feels like a more proper response to what they set up in Halloween 2018. I also, though, have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of horror fans who don't like it and a lot who get pissed off by it. Sure. Um, I watched a movie on Shudder the other day called Sissy. 
Oh. That I thought was was quite good. Uh, it, again, it the premise of Sissy is is this girl. Cecilia, who had been mm-hmm. best friends uh, with another girl named Emma, and they'd had some kind of falling out, and the falling out gets sort of suggested at, like it gets hinted at, and you get a little bit more and more revealed. But you think it's mostly just because Emma makes friends with like the popular girls and disses sis or like ditches Sissy because she's not as cool, and Sissy now has this. Um, huge social media following and is kind of like a wellness guru and she does all these posts about being kind to yourselves, friends, and taking a moment to blah, blah, oh, blah. No. Um, and she runs into Emma and Emma's getting married so she gets invited out for like the bachelorette weekend and it's it's absolutely kind of a black comedy. It's gory. Some of the death scenes are awesome. Nice. Very creative. Very over the top. Uh, the the lead actress in it who plays Cecilia is is fantastic, Aisha D. She's so good. And honestly, if it wasn't for her, I don't think the movie would work okay. as well as it does. But but her performance really sells it. Uh, so it's 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 not a perfect movie, but it's it's a it's a really good time. It's really well done. And it's streaming on Shutter, so I think if you're looking for something a little different, it could be a, a fun one to watch. So that's nice. sort of what I've been watching. What have you been watching? Nice. That sounds very interesting. Um, I haven't been watching a lot because we just recorded. Sure. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be more difficult to do Creepy Critics Corner when we have an episode every week. But um, I have been finally getting caught up on um, House of the Dragon, Mm. Um, the Game of Thrones show that I know I've talked about it previously. Wow. It's still great. I actually still, it's still doing a good job. Um, It's actually way better written than like anything in the last two seasons of Game of Thrones, I would say. Um, So I'm still behind, but I've watched two episodes of that this week. Um, Their use of time is really interesting because Mm. with every episode, there'll be like a chunk of time that goes by, like a significant chunk, like 10 years, like not even just like a year or two later, like a lot has happened. And then you have to kind of figure out where things now based on the like insanity that happened in the last episode. Mm -hmm. So like it, I really like the way they did that. I think that's like kind of a newer approach from the Game of Thrones realm. Um, But I also started watching a show called The Midnight Club, on oh, yeah, that's the new uh, Flanagan one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's by the same people that did all the, like, Haunting of Hill House. And um, I think there's a couple different ones. I think, uh, my gosh, my brain's not working. But there's a couple different, like, horror shows that have been on Netflix that are done by the same people. But um, it's well, an interesting. Well, it's based on a Christopher, well, Midnight Mass, too. But it's Midnight Mass, a, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. A Christopher Pike thing, isn't it? I think so. And actually, the, like, main creepy religious woman in Midnight Mass mm-hmm. is also in this show as a character. Well, he tends to – he's got his, like, stable of actors he likes to yeah. work with. Yeah. That's why I actually put it on because yeah. I saw that it was done by the same people. And I, I like – I liked all of those other things that he also put out. Um, and truth be told, I have not fully paid attention while watching <laughs> this show. However – um, it's an interesting premise. It's basically about, t- first of all, it also takes place in like 1994. Mm-hmm. And so it's 1994 in Seattle, which I think is That's cool. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about a bunch of young people who have terminal cancer, mm. who are going to live in a hospice home mm-hmm. um, that is an old, creepy Victorian house in the middle of the woods in outside of I don't think it's actually Seattle, but it's, like, in Washington near Seattle. Sure. Um, and it's a really cool-looking house, and there's weird stuff that happens, and each person has a different plot line and story, and there's different storytelling that happens every night, and you can't really gauge, is this a real story, or is it a fake story, is this about the person who's telling it? Um, and there's a lot of uh, supernatural undertones to it, which is pretty cool. I actually think you would really like it a lot. Um, no, it's but, on my list. I just... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just have a million other things we're watching. Um, but I, I'm not done with it. I've only seen a couple of episodes of it, but I, I really like it so far. It's nice. pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been watching. Uh, 
and watching other podcasters do their live podcasts that we watched during Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. Yeah, we saw some good ones. We did. Mm-hmm. Well, having said that, thank you for listening, guys. Yeah. Um, we will be back next week with we the rest of Bell Gunness. Mm-hmm. If you don't know this already, we exist on the internet. Um, we do. Find us, <laughs> Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast, um, on any social medias. Uh, we also have a really cool plan coming up with um, some stuff that's going to be released on our Patreon in the next couple months. Um, so we're really excited to update that and be able to provide some extra content for you guys that uh, you may or may not have heard at some point. Um, but it'll be fun. So really excited to promote some new stuff. Listen to some new podcasts, and uh, if you like what we do, shout us out. Give us a uh, rating or review on um, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. But thank you for listening, and stay.